about four years before she died, I knew that her body was beginning to change. And I still was fighting, um, thinking, okay, she's okay. I remember the nurse calling the doctor on a Wednesday and saying she's just not getting better. And I remember them saying, offer the mom to take her to the hospital. And um, that was a really hard thing to say no to. I wanted to, I wanted to fight, but I knew what was to come for her. My husband and I said, no, we are going to allow her to be at home listen to love, she loved music, listen to all her favorite music and be surrounded by the people she loves when she says goodbye. Natalie, I just want to thank you for hopping on here and getting ready to tell us a story about your daughter, Sophia, and all that comes with that. This topic of death in itself is you know, a, a tough conversation for many people. And I think that's part of what we're doing here on Dead Talks. And, uh, you know, I've said this before, but the idea of losing a child is a whole nother game in my head. And uh, what better to speak to someone who's experienced it herself. So again, thank you for being on here. And uh, I would love to hear more about your daughter, Sophia, and, and what you and your family have gone through. And feel free to share a story a little bit. Okay. Thank you for having me and allowing me to share. I found out at 34 weeks pregnant, and Sophia was my first child, that she was going to be born with multiple disabilities and facial differences. And, um, you know, throughout the pregnancy, I thought everything was going to be typical. And then four weeks before I have her, the world just kind of fell out uh, beneath me and um, experienced a type of grief from that in the beginning. And honestly, I didn't think I was the kind of person that would be able to handle what was to come. They told me that she might not survive birth. And I come from a line of, of women. My mom, I lost my brother when I was 23 and my grandmother lost her daughter. And so I've seen what losing a child does to a parent. And that really terrified me. And I didn't want to go through that. I didn't want to change in that way um, because it's a drastic thing to go through. And it's a life-changing thing. It, it basically takes away who you were and you have to rebuild. But the moment she was born, she was able to breathe on her own and strong. And I remember uh, I had her. They took her away immediately. And I was afraid to go see her that night in the NICU. And I avoided it for some time until the evening. And when I went in there, the nurse handed her to me and was baby talking her. And I just broke down and I held her and I realized, oh my gosh, this is my baby. I love her. I'm going to do whatever it takes to fight for her. And that was my first promise to her. Um, the second promise was to always listen to her body. And there's so much technology, so many surgeries out there that can fix things. And that's what doctors do. And so throughout her life, she had 30 surgeries and these were all to decrease pain, improve her function, to make her life better. Um, but there became a point in her life where these options were horrific surgical options and they were going to decrease her quality of life and add more issues. And so the promise that I made was I would always listen to her body. And it got to that point about four years before she died, I knew that her body was beginning to change. I was very in tune with it because she was uh, non-speaking. She could communicate, but um, I knew her body was changing four years before. And we had actually put her into hospice because she wasn't doing well. And then she graduated. She started to do well again. Um, but I knew that the surgical options in the future that were to come were horrific. 
And they were against um, what we wanted to do as far as decreasing pain, improving quality of life. It was the opposite. It was just basically keeping her alive. And at the same time, I began my public advocacy. We actually lived a very private life. The world wasn't kind to us because she had facial differences and profound disabilities. And I kind of kept us private because I knew my daughter's time was limited and I didn't want her to experience the hate and the discrimination that we had when she was a baby. And so I vowed to make a beautiful life for her at home. She also had immune deficiency, so it put her life at risk to take her out and about. Um, but her health care was her life-saving health care was at risk. And I began to share her story publicly so that we could fight against her losing life-saving health care and and for thousands in North Carolina. And then the fight led to a national fight for health care. And uh, I never wanted to be any of those things. I mean, since I was a kid, I just wanted to be a mom. And my promise to be the mom that she needed me to be was to learn to speak in front of the camera and to give speeches, which my very first speech was on Capitol Hill. I'd never, you know, given one, but it was for my daughter. And the amount of love and support for my daughter online just grew and I have a beautiful online community. And I never would have imagined that. The hate also was there, and that made my work evolve into protecting people with disabilities and facial differences online. And through the power of my daughter, um, she's just an amazing human being. She was able to help me find my strength and my voice to fight and to create change in this world. And um, she was just such a special little girl. And a year before she died. She had a surgery to take a kidney stone out, really minor, supposed to be easy. And there was catastrophic damage that occurred. And so I knew at that point that the options to fix things were going to be really bad. And the hardest promise to keep was to um, say no more, no more doctors, no more surgeries, no more shots, no more medication that makes you tired, but stops this from happening. And I told her, you know what, it's it's time we live life to the fullest. And I, I asked her, how do you feel about no doctors, no hospital stays, no, you know, surgeries. And at times she could communicate and she signed and said, all done so very clearly and looked at me like, okay, mom, it's about time. Her eyes were so expressive. Um, and so we lived life to the fullest and did all of these amazing adventures. People would open up just for her, like the aquarium and take her to see things and a movie theater and things that she hadn't been able to do in the past. And she got sick, six days she was sick. And I still was fighting, um, thinking, okay, she's okay. She'll get through this. This is just a minor illness. Um, and we had hospice in at the time, uh, amazing to have hospice because doctors come to her and nurses check on her. And, but by, Wednesday, I had to tell all my family members that, that there's just nothing more we can do. And I remember the doc, the nurse calling the doctor on a Wednesday and saying, she's just not getting better. And I remember them saying, offer the mom to take her to the hospital. And um, that was a really hard thing to say no to. I wanted to, I wanted to fight, but I knew what was to come for her would be really horrible. And that it was her body's time. She had a lifespan of 10 and a half years and it was her body's time. And I promised her I would remember, I would always listen to what her body was telling me. And my husband and I said, no, we are going to allow her to be at home, listen to love. She loved music, listen to all her favorite music and be surrounded by the people she loves when she says goodbye. And so, um, 
I was laying next to her when she passed away and uh, able to cuddle with her and be with her. So um, those were the the final moments. And it's not something I talk about often because many people feel uncomfortable um, hearing the story, but I am grateful to be able to share it. But I don't allow my brain to go in, into that space often, but I think I probably should. And it would be more helpful to, um, you know, ex- just think about it and um, get through it. When you say you don't allow your head to go into that space, meaning do you relate that to the contemplation or allowing yourself to feel or just just simply the discussion around it? It's just, it's such a painful moment. Um, it's so vivid. And uh, I remember her taking her last breath and, and yelling for everyone, like it's coming to an end. Like I was so in tune with her, I knew. Um, and it's interesting because I, we were all taking turns holding her that day. And um, Sophia's nurse that was with us since she was two years old, she was there. Everybody who took the time to get to know my daughter and knew who she was, um, was in that room. And um, just laying next to her, I changed her. I laid next to her, put her blankets on her. It was like, you know, she wanted to be in her bed and she, she knew that if I was holding her, I probably would have never let go. But the moment she was gone, the person I had fought to become the strength, um, that person was gone. And I remember asking for permission, can I leave her side? And I jumped from the bed and just screaming, wailing in a crouched ball, um, on the floor. So it's, it's, something that brings you back to that moment. It's really hard to go back to that moment um, because it's it's just, it's a horrific memory. Um, even though there was so much beauty and she was surrounded by love and everyone who loved her, it's just a really hard thing to do. Um, that I was gone, you know, who I was. Uh, and I've had to build the last four years to find, you know, remnants of that person. And I, I find her sometimes, but, um, it's not the same without her. Yeah. I mean, you were, you were so strong for so long, you know, for 10 and a half years and especially that process, which there's so many levels to it. You'd based on, you know, the last 10 minutes of what you just told me, especially starting off saying you've, you've seen your own family, you know, lose a child before you, so you've witnessed bear to that, um, and then you've had to get the news of your own daughter. And then with the idea that, you know, they, the doctors told you, correct, that she wasn't going to live very long. So that the ideation of having that, you know, that conversation, what is your mentality there knowing that time is limited with your daughter and that this day will come sooner than anyone could ever th- imagine? So w- is there some kind of mechanism that you felt worked for you or was it just were you just driven by the love of your daughter? Yeah. I mean, driven by the love for sure, but it was, it was a process. Um, so I had 10 and a half years of this. And when I first had her, I remember, um, compulsively searching online for answers. There was nobody else in the world like her. So doctors couldn't tell me how long we had or if she was going to survive. And so I would compulsively look for, um, diagnosis. I would, uh, search for other parents and, Social media wasn't as big back then. So you would find blogs of parents who have lost kids, how they were. And so I was trying to, in some way, prepare for it. Um, no way to prepare for it, of course. But I, I tried my best and I realized I can't do this. I need to 
I need to be a a great mom. I need to focus on my daughter. And so I kind of had to let it go. And as time went on, as the years went on, we would get a new diagnosis and we would find out about this issue and that it, you know, can cause sudden death. Um, But I just had to learn to live in the moment. I actually have a sign outside um, that says live in the moment. And that's like my message from Sophia. But the hard part is uh, she's not here. And so she was my reminder to live in the moment. And when I would hold her, um, everything would melt away, my worry, my pain. And so um, she would just, being in her presence would allow me to live in the moment. And and that's what I had to learn to do. And I, I employed the use of toxic positivity for many, many years because she went through so many things and almost died during surgery. And, um, you know, just finding out these difficult diagnoses that would come, um, I would push it away and pretend like I'm so strong and positive and people would praise you how strong you are. Um, and then it was my advocacy when I began to talk about my fears about the um, possibility of her losing her healthcare, what that could do to her. It was then that I finally released my real feelings. And, um, and I think that was really important to do is to feel everything you were feeling and realize that no emotion is bad. They are there to be felt. Um, and that made a huge difference, but living in the moment was the most important thing to remind myself to do. Yeah. I mean, I think you just hit the nail on the head in regards to, you know, feeling our emotions and whatever you feel is okay. You know, it's kind of a contradictory statement in my belief with it as well, because I believe that so strongly that it is important to feel. Otherwise we're just bottling it up and putting it to the side, regardless if it's grief loss, no matter what it is. But at the same time, I think it's also important to not stay there too long, but there is a balancing effect of feeling it, but working through it as opposed to always constantly staying in that place. Uh, this is kind of, this just kind of came to me now, but I, I, when I hear stories of losing anyone in, in many ways, that just seems so unfair without, for lack of a better term, did you ever ask yourself, do you ever get deeper on that question? Ask yourself why and try to find meaning behind all this? Or is that just a question that is, you know, almost impossible to answer? Yeah, it's it's a question impossible to answer. Um, I never was someone who was like, why? Why is this happening? Why me? Because Sophia was born with such differences and it was so important for me to just accept who she was. And at each stage, even uh, she had a diagnosis of Rett syndrome and she was developing typically. So we thought the facial differences were all we would have to contend with. And, um, and what Rett syndrome does is around two, it, it makes the child lose all the skills they've gained and regress. So it was like another loss, but it was just so important for me to accept my daughter for where she was at, who she was in that moment and love her unconditionally. So I think that stopped me from the why her, why me, because Sophia was who she was and, um, nothing was going to change that. And her, her time in this life was what it was. Right. That's powerful. And what about your dynamic with your partner in regards to, you know, your uh, father, mother dynamic of handling a situation where you lose your child? Yeah. So it's interesting in talking about that last moment. And my husband's always been so supportive of me and um, he's working full time. So I was in charge of the medical stuff, but fully trusting, fully supportive um, and has been through my work that I've done. And it's interesting because I was in charge of all the medical stuff. I was the one do- dealing with all of that. 
And once she was gone, that person was gone and and I was gone. And I actually had to lock myself in the room and turn like a sound machine on because I didn't want to hear them taking her away. And my husband said in that moment, he felt like all the strength went on to him and uh, he was in charge now and he was taking over and he helped carry her to the car and he followed her to the um, funeral home and um, it was his his time to really be there and have that strength in regards to our daughter. But um, we were a team and we always have been. And, and in our grief, we are a team. He has supported me and everything. And I, I feel like I, I'm the one who kind of took on the health issues with grief and all that comes with it and um, chronic fatigue and you know, depression in and out, anxiety, those types of things. And he's just always there supporting me. And then when he's down, I pull myself up and support him. And and it's like we had practice for my daughter's entire life of supporting each other, being there for each other. It was very similar to uh, grief and what we were going through. So we had a ton of practice at being really good at being there for one another. That's beautiful. That's a that's a very strong dynamic there. You know, especially yeah. that yin and yang you have going in regards to knowing when to step in and and maybe someone takes a little bit more of the load. That's um, mm-hmm. I I don't know how how common that is because there's it's such an interesting dynamic how two people handle grief in general, let alone partners and raising a child. So yeah. you know, it could, it could go either way. So it's it's I'm 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 sure you're very grateful for the situation that you've had considering if there's yeah. it's hard to find gratefulness in some situations like this I understand. Um Yeah, it is. And and it's interesting because um you know, just throughout our our time together, we know that a lot of these situations can bring on stress and what it did was brought us closer instead of further apart. But I can see how easy it is to butt heads and have it kind of separate you. But for us, it, it did the opposite. So difficult times, we were at our strongest and supporting one another. Was it instinctively like that? Were difficult times you were your strongest or did you see it as a process? Uh, instinctively, I think we were like that. And um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know where it came from. Also, we we loved to laugh. And so we could be in the hospital room and my husband would make the most inappropriate uh, joke and and we laughed together. And we know that when times are not difficult, that we are extremely grateful and we are going to cherish those moments. And so I think it was instinctual. I'm lucky. I feel lucky. Okay. I love that. And what about your process now? It's been, correct me, three, four years, give or take. Was it? Four years. So 2019? Mm-hmm. So what has worked for you? Because a big, you know, a big thing I want to get out of this podcast outside of, of course, sharing your story and, and sharing Sophia's life is, you know, there's, I can't even put a number on how many other mothers have lost a child in, of course, different ways, um, but nevertheless, losing a child. What have you taken in these four years? What What has your grief journey been like from, you know, the day she passed to today? Yeah, it, it's been hard. And I go through series of different ways that I deal with it. The When I'm at my healthiest and I'm dealing with it the best is like, I always know grief's there. I kind of view it as this, I'm a visual person, as like this little shadow that's behind me. I always know she's there. Now, sometimes she's really far away and I'm enjoying life and living and having fun and laughing, but slowly she gets closer and closer and closer. And if I try to outrun her and ignore her, 
she gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And when grief takes over, because it always is, it needs your attention. If you're ignoring it and trying to run from it, it's going to just crush you. And I've been in those states and I still do that to this day because dealing with grief is difficult, but the healthiest that I am is when I'm just gently allowing it to be there, to visit with me and to sit with it and to say, yes, I'm feeling grief and I'm down and I'm sad um, and allow myself to, to be in it. And like you said earlier, like there's a limit. You don't want to just wallow in it. And I remember when I had Sophie and we would have all this bad news happening, I would give myself or somebody would be cruel to us when we took her out. I'd give myself three days to be down. And then I got to pick myself back up because I'm a mom and I got to move forward. And so I do similar things with grief. Three days is a little drastic. Um, Now I know. So I allow myself to sit in it. But I have two other children um, that need me. And so I just try to keep getting through it. I feel like there's either me really enjoying life and um, then there's me pretending to be okay then there's me fighting the grief and then there's me just accepting it gently and allowing it to pass through. And I do that. I haven't, you don't master anything. And that's what you realize. There is no getting over it. There is no, Oh, I'm no longer struggling. It's, it's always going to come in waves and, and how you let it visit you determines how hard it crashes on you or gently passes through you. I'm curious about, that specific process. So when you say you let yourself sit with it and feel it and let grief or the shadow perhaps be there with you, what is that in your mind? Are you literally just soaking it in or is there some kind of process of contemplation and working through your emotions or any kind of steps within that? Yeah. For me, I meditate and I have since I was 18 on and off and meditation was really hard for me to do after my daughter died. So I learned that walking meditation helps. So I will do a guided walking meditation and it's being out in nature. It's quieting your mind. It's slowing down. I mean, I was go, 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 uh, activist saying yes to every opportunity. And, um, now I physically cannot I will have a burst of energy where I can do some, you know, public advocacy or interviews and things like that, but I have to slow down. Um, But it really, it's just slowing everything down in your life and taking the time to give it the attention, whether it's meditation, whether it's, you know, exercising, whatever it is that brings you peace and something that you love. Those are the times that I like to focus on those things because it helps it uh, feel calmer. And I'm, I'm sure the, I mean, the work that you're doing now is Sophia's voice and that charity is, I'm sure, part of the, a, a major part of that process too. And, and that's the interesting thing too, because I've always said, you know, uh, not, maybe not always actually, it's, that's, that's a silly thing to say, but I have said that there's this idea of like finding purpose after loss or just finding purpose in life in general, but specific to the conversation about loss, I don't know, maybe I felt a pressure of having to do something grandioso or having to do something with this loss. Like I can't just sit here and, and not do something from it. But I I also want to alleviate that pressure for some people. Like you don't have to like start a podcast. You don't have to have to do a charity. There's other ways of doing it. And, uh, I, I think, uh, there is like a a feeling of pressure in some ways to have to do X, Y, Z after so-and-so. But to me, it's just the way you live your life from the little things to the big things. But in your case, you know, you started this, this program for, to help others. 
And have you found giving back and helping others be a big part of your grief journey? Yeah. So 100% finding purpose has helped me. And like you said, not everyone needs to do that. But for me, because people from around the world knew and loved my daughter, I actually started this organization a year before she passed away, subconsciously knowing that I would need something to help me keep going. Um, Also, I realized that I could help others like her financially and This is her heartbeat, um, and I've got it as a tattoo here. And I felt it was so important that my daughter continue to live on. And I wanted to quit. And still, I think about quitting the social media, the organization all the time. And just something inside me won't let me. And I know I do pressure myself, but being able to help others in her memory And being able to share her story and keep her impact alive has kept me going. I remember maybe three, four weeks after her death, thinking, I'm going to quit. I'm going to shut the organization down. I cannot move. I cannot move forward. I can't do any of this anymore. And seeing someone who needed help and saying, okay, I'm going to help this one person. And the feeling it gave me and how it felt like I was sending Sophia out into this world and keeping her alive. And that's what keeps me going. Now, I take breaks all the time. I don't pressure myself to constantly work. And that's the difference now. Um, When I am feeling that pressure, I slow down and um, take the time. But it's really what has kept me going and continuing this work is to be able to help others, to be able to share her story and to keep her impact alive. And in many ways, I feel like stopping this work is another um, kind of way of that she would die again. And I, I can't let her uh, memory go away. So I continue. <sighs> you know, I had a conversation with someone um, when I was out on the, the other night, doesn't matter when it was, but we were just talking about what we're doing and I was talking about my podcast and she asked a question and I said something like, you know, I was relating to her in the fact that, you know, sometimes it gets, even what I'm doing, I'm not relating it to what you're doing in any capacity, but it just made me think like when I do this podcast, I, it, 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 it sometimes I get, I stress myself out. I overthink it. I, I just get this feeling of, um, wanting to continue to push it forward to become what I've always believed it, but then I get tired and, you know, I get drained in many ways. But then she made a comment that was like, you know, sometimes your gift, I'm not saying this is a gift and I'm so special at what I do, but like the gift that we do in serving others isn't for you. That's why it's called a gift because you're giving it. So it's like, that really like shifted the light on me to kind of, even if I do get tired and you have to take that time for yourself, it, it was like, we're, it's, there's a bigger picture to it. It's not like this is going to be peaches and cream all the time for me individually. It's going to, there's going to be, there's a lot of work that goes behind it and a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't see and my mental health and all that crap. But it's for, I, I see the results. I'm grateful for all the results that I've seen and meaning I've, I've seen the impact that this podcast has had on other people. And again, the podcast, because of someone like you willing to share their story, not what comes out of my Italian Jersey mouth, but it's like the idea that it's not, oh, it's not, for me, it's for other people and that it can be a major driving force. And that's a, what you're doing. You're doing this in, in what it seems in such a beautiful way is not only are you continuing the legacy of your precious daughter, you're helping other people. And it seems that is what's keeping you going. Yeah, it is. And and not to mention just sharing on social media and being open about your grief or being open about your life, the connections that you make. Um, with so many people. I am so connected with uh, parents that have lost their kids just recently. 
and they need to be told that they can survive. And I remember two mothers guiding me through for the first six months because I thought I wasn't going to make it. I didn't want to make it at times. And I connected with them online and me sharing my story helps me. It helps others. And you can't look within your community to find people experiencing these very rare situations, but you can go online and you can share and you can connect with so many people and connections. One of the biggest things. And I I think about the difference when my brother died when I was 23, that was in 2004, social media wasn't really a thing and he was killed and it was very, uh, very traumatic, but even parts of me still haven't dealt with that. I'd never even heard the word grief, you know? And so the, the changes in then from now and how sharing and connecting with other people and the ability to use that tool online is, is a beautiful thing. There's always bad and um, you just have to take your breaks, deal with your mental health, sort through it and focus on the good. Oh, yeah. You know, it's one of those things that is always easier said than done. Cause I'm sure there's people that are listening that are like in a certain state that like don't even see that as a possibility. But I mean, you're living proof that it is a possibility. And I'm sure it's, it's only been four years that you're still working things out. As uh, you said, that, it's, that grief is kind of always with us in many ways. I think it's just the shadow figure, as you will, will just evolve and change shapes and you might not even expect it. But uh, did you find any correlation in regards to, so for the t- ten, and a, 10 and a half years that you had your daughter, From correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed like you were constantly, on, not on the go, but like you were doing a lot. You were constantly, you know, raising your child with all the medical, the medical issues that you had to deal with and XYZ and just living your life in general, that when she did pass and then all that work, if you will, stopped. Was that just a quiet moment where you really felt everything in comparison to the first 10 and a half years, maybe having this ideation that, you know, she was going to pass? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was horrible. That was one of the difficult things is, you know, we always had nurses in the home. There was always medical stuff, doctor's appointments. She would have medical emergencies at home that I just was accepting and was trained to perform to stop her from having medical emergencies that anyone would freak out over, but it was our everyday norm. And so I was living in fight or flight mode and hypervigilance for so many years that it was my normal baseline. And to not have that there, it was, the silence was so loud um, and difficult. And it was just a really hard thing to sit with. It took about a year and a half for my body to finally settle even still, I, you know, like I have the chronic fatigue. I think that's just, you know, everything out of whack because of the way I lived my life um, and the work that I was doing and the fear and the pain and the managing your emotions. And I had two younger kids as well. And it was a lot. But you look back and you think, oh, my gosh. And and always you're trying to hide that stress that you're living in. And so you're trying to I, I don't know how I did it, um, but the calm was hard. The calm was hard and the silence was hard and uh, it took a lot of time to adjust. Even still, when I'm out and I'm shopping beyond like the two hour mark, I start to get really anxious and I feel like I need to get home. Um, And that was from like my daughter would have a medical emergency. I would drop and leave the cart and just run home. And I was always waiting for that phone call that something bad was happening. Um, So even still, it's my body remembers all of that um, sometimes before my mind does. It's so ironic that the the silence and the calm 
tends to be the loudest. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? You know, I feel like oh, yeah. when uh, when I'm busy doing things and I'm working, doing X, Y, Z, okay, things are, you know, you still feel like whatever, in the, even amidst those moments, but when it's silent and when things are calm, that's when it's the loudest up here. And it's like, it's just like a contradictory statement, but that's when like the work is done, if you ask me. And yeah. um, so I, you know, that, that moment is just really impactful what you shared. And when that silent did come, I can't, I, I, I just, it's just a lot, but um, I commend you for even just doing and being where you are right now. Um, Thank you. Is there, is there anything that you, I know this is a very blanket statement. It's often a difficult question to answer, but for anyone that has lost for a father or a mother that has lost a child, what have you pulled from this experience that you think would shed light on their situation? Gosh, yeah, that it's a hard thing because your grief is so personal, but as a parent losing a child, there are some things that you, you feel the emotional pain is so strong that you have physical pain and you don't think you're going to survive. And for me, I just wanted to hear that I could survive. And I wanted to see parents not just surviving, but also thriving, smiling again. And even though you don't want to hear it and it will make you angry in the beginning to even think about smiling and laughing and enjoying life again, that you will. You will have those beautiful moments again in life. The the struggle and the grief will never leave you. Sometimes it will lighten and you will enjoy life again. And I think it's important to know that because some parents don't survive this. They don't. And I understand why but it is possible. And that's the most important thing that I heard in the beginning stages and that I tell any parent that comes to me after they've just lost their child. Yeah. Is there a guilt? I mean, is there a heavy guilt there to think that you can be happy and that you can smile and that you can thrive in your life at some point after loss of a child? Yeah, it's There's huge guilt. I remember the first time I smiled or the first time I laughed. I almost, I stopped myself in the middle of it. Like, oh, this isn't right. This is horrible. Um, But I think also having my younger children there, that helped me because I wanted to be there for them and I wanted to support them in their grief. And so being a child, I was 23 when my brother was gone, but knowing that feeling of losing your parents and then also feeling like, well, what about me um, drove my purpose to pull myself up and to be there for my kids, to teach them how to grieve and to show them that we could smile and laugh again. We had to learn how to be a family without Sophia. You know, our world was built up around her because of her conditions. And sometimes we wouldn't be able to go out um, as a family altogether. Like I would stay back with Sophia. My husband would take the kids to dinner and even going to dinner as a family, I felt so horrible. Like I can finally go. I can finally leave and not have to worry. I can, we can all be together at one time. And so there was a lot of guilt and it just took time to work through it. And I just always think, you know, Sophia would be smiling down on us, seeing us having these life experiences, but it takes time to get to that place. Yeah. It takes time and there's no, uh, there's no schedule. That's the thing. I think, I don't think there's a schedule in life, even though we put it in our calendar. There's just, we try to make it. (laughs) Yeah. The timing. It's it's weird. I don't know. The timing of life is just so bizarre to me. You think uh, sometimes you think something's a bad thing as it being a good thing. You think a good thing ends up being a bad thing. It's like I just I've just tried to expect the unexpected. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like it's like you just don't know. So when it comes to grief and loss or dealing with anything, you just 
everyone's got a different timeline. There's no guilt of understanding that it's been at six months, been a year, five years. It's just, you gotta, it's, 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 it's on us in many ways. I mean, I think everything is on us. Um, yeah. and like you said, there's no, uh, like whatever you feel is okay. And however long it takes, mm-hmm. that's how long it's going to take, but it does take work and effort on our side to get through it. Cause if I think when you said there's parents that don't survive it and you understand that, and I can't relate, I don't have children. I, mm-hmm. the closest thing I've seen is my grandmother losing my, her son, which is my dad, but it's, yeah. it's um, I don't know. It's just, this is, this is what we're dealing with. <laughs> At the end of the day, it takes us to get out of a situation. Um, and obviously having a support system helps, but it's, I hate to say, I don't even like to say this, but a lot of it is a choice. Everything, everything we do and how we respond to a situation is, is a choice. And mm-hmm. with those choices, I think, like you said, you can be happy. You can get there with time. Um, and I, I love to hear those words because I'm hoping it gives some hope to other people that may be in the midst of it right now. Cause I, I'm sure there's gonna be thousands of other people that can relate to what you're saying. So I just want to thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. I, I, is there, how, how are you today? How are you, how are you feeling today? <laughs> uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, May 23rd was the four year anniversary and it's, it's interesting because sometimes I'm really great and, you know, living life, but then sometimes grief just kind of comes in and it weighs you down a little bit. And, and ever since the anniversary of her death, I was kind of running from dealing with it and trying to be like, I'm okay. It's been four years. I'm okay. And I realized, you know what? I'm not okay. And I was experiencing some depression and and you're going to go in and out of it. It's going to happen. And once I, okay, you're not okay. And it's okay. Let's deal with the grief. Let's silence our mind. Let's do the things that are healthy for me and just sit with it. And once I did that, I started to feel better and so, yeah, I mean, I'm doing good and I think I'm in a good place where I know my limits. I would try to push myself. I need to get back to that strong Natalie I was, but I don't think I'll ever be that person because my daughter was here. I was fighting for her life and that was my passion and that's where my strength came from, but that's okay. Um, now I'm fighting to keep her memory and impact alive and helping others in her memory. So I, I'm doing pretty good today. <laughs> oh, good. I'm happy. I'm happy to see you smiling. And it's interesting to see that transference of energy because you just said that, you know, what was driving you was her. And now that she's not here, you lost that. So it's like a, it's like a different type of, it's even another layer of grief we didn't even tap into, but to transfer yeah. that energy into this program, even though, you know, you do have those moments of thinking about stopping, you know, it, you, 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 I know it's clear that you're a very strong woman, clearly if you're continuing nice. that and what you've gone through. So I know I, I just met you 45 minutes ago, but I'm proud of you. And I want, I want to thank, thank you for, you. for sharing this story. And, uh, before we do get out of here, feel free to say whatever you want. If there's anything that you feel like you didn't get off your chest, but also if you want to let people know about Sophia's voice and where they could find you and anything else you want to, you want to mention before we tap out of here. Yeah. Um, I started the organization Sophia's voice in honor of my daughter. And then when she passed away, I continue it in her memory and, and we help pay for medication, medical equipment, anything medical related to children and adults with disabilities. Um, I also do work online and you could probably find me at every social media location and just help me normalize facial differences and disabilities. It's really important to me and, um, yeah, it's www.sophias-voice.com. And I just, 
am grateful to be able to share and grateful that we are in a day and age where we can talk about death and grief. There are so many people in our personal lives that don't want to talk about it. And um, you mentioned support before, and sometimes people don't have support or there are people who cannot rise to the occasion because whatever issues that they have or um, people that avoid you that you used to be close with. And even though that may happen, it's really important to continue to move forward and you can find your community of people and finding you and being able to talk like this. It means so much to me. And like I said, I was in a place with my grief where I was trying to run from it. Now being able to say yes to this, you asking me at the time that you did was, was really important because this also being able to relive and talk about my daughter's death without feeling that you were uncomfortable is very helpful. And so I appreciate that. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. And I think uh, I mean, that kind of gets me stirred up when you mention how other people don't have support. Cause I, I I've had plenty of support and, um, and I don't want to say I felt I'm grateful, but there's like always that a slight guilt because there's so many other people that you said don't have support. And I think that's, that's what this all is. That's what this podcast is. That's what yeah. you're doing. That's what plenty of other people in this community are doing, which I've learned about so many other, you know, great people that are doing similar things. And yeah. I'm learning more about this community. And it seems like even more people that I speak to is like, Oh, I've never heard anyone doing what you're doing. I'm like, no, there actually are. It's, it's still a small percentage but there are, there are, and that's just even more of a thought that, wow, people have no idea. Slash, maybe this person just literally never thinking about death for whatever reason. Yeah. I understand. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. That's a whole other rabbit hole. But, um, but Natalie, I want to thank you so much again for being on here. It's a true pleasure. I really appreciate you having the courage to do what you're doing and, and sharing a little bit about it on here. Uh, for anyone that wants to find her, I'll, I'll add the links that she mentioned in the show notes. I'm sure if you follow us on Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff, you'll see the links. But, um, Until next time, another episode of Dead Talks. Natalie Weaver, thanks again. Thank you.